0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Awesome. That's, I, I felt like when we were praying for those people up front, <clears throat> I, was, I was holding one of the guys' arms up and I asked the guy next to me, you know, his hand on him and I asked him just to put his hand underneath him and hold it up because I wanted them to feel what it was like for your arms to be lifted up without you having to extend the energy and not because of your strength and your power because i honestly believe that when we get that and we understand that that the strength we have is in him yeah. that that yeah he tells us to raise our hands you know moses had to he told moses lift your hands but he also made it possible that when moses was doing what he was called to do people came alongside and god did for moses what moses couldn't do for himself there is a part you play in that you do have to lift your hands but also understand that He's the God who comes along and says, I asked you to do this. I'll make sure that you have the strength if you just be obedient to do what I've asked you to do. And, uh, and I just, that's, just the, that's the walk of faith. That's what it is. It's saying yes to God and going after and doing what we can do and trusting Him with what we can't. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 7. Um, you're going to be down near verse in the, in the 20s. I'm um, talking a little bit this morning. <clears throat> um so what's that? It was so good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, <clears throat> so in, in where we're at in this in the gospel of Luke here is is Jesus um, has come onto the scene, John who was the one who went before him and announced that he was coming um, has been imprisoned. Um And so he's in prison and he comes to this place where he has followers and he sends some of them to Jesus with a question. They come to Jesus and they ask Him this question. They said, John said to ask, are you the one or should we look for another? And we talked about this passage before But there's something in Jesus' answer that He was showing me that I think is really relevant for where we're at right now because here's John the Baptist. Like, If anybody knows who Jesus is, it's John. He leaps in His mother's womb when a pregnant Mary walks into the room. He sees Jesus coming. He's the first person to call Him the Lamb of God. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes to him to be baptized. He baptizes him. After he's baptized, he comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes down and descends upon him like a dove. A voice says from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If anybody is certain of who Jesus is, it should be John. But because of his circumstance and because maybe he assumed that if he did what he knew he was supposed to do, his life would look a certain way. And sometimes we have to be careful that we don't make our circumstances the trial of who God is. And set up this scenario in our mind of, well, if this is who God is, and if I'm obedient, or if I do what I'm called to do, then this is what my life will look like. And get ourselves in a position where if our life doesn't look like that, our answer is not maybe that we had a wrong idea, it's maybe he's not really God. Think about it. This is John who, who if anybody should have this settled in his heart. He's, Jesus says that he's a, the greatest prophet. When he was talking to John, he said, what did you see when you came to see John? He said, a prophet. He said, yes, a prophet and, and, not, and, and the greatest prophet. Up basically, up to this point, the whole old covenant, all the prophets that came, he says, John was the greatest of all the prophets. And, and sometimes I think, if we're not careful, our gifting will get us somewhere. John's gifting of prophecy, the gift of being a prophet, his gifting got him to a place where people were listening to him, people were crowding to him, and people were paying attention to what he said. But, but, but your gifting can only get you so far. If you don't have it firmly established in your heart who he is, if you end up so Listen, your gifting will take you places, but faith is the thing that will keep you there and keep you in that place where, uh, in your heart even if you're not looking around and seeing the circumstances that you once were seeing. Your gift can take you places that faith is supposed to keep you. He was supposed to stay in that place that he's, when His gift of prophecy, His gift to be able to see, said, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was where God wanted Him to stay for the rest of His life. Looking at Jesus and saying, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah. But His gift brings Him to a place that, that He doesn't quite have established in His heart. And so that's all up to determination by how my life goes. If circumstances go wrong and I find myself in jail and I find myself disappointed. And maybe John had built this idea of what life would look like now that the Messiah had come. And suddenly, life looked nothing like the idea that he built in his head. And so he sends his disciples to ask the one that he proclaimed was the Lamb of God, if he was even the one. But I, I, and, and we've talked about that before, that you know disappointment can cause you to question everything. It's true. Disappointment can make you start questioning everything, even things that God showed you prophetically, that even things that, that you know you were born to do, even things that God put into your heart, even hearing God speak from heaven over this, over this Jesus and say, this is my son. This disappointment was greater than what he had heard God speak to the point where he's like, go ask him if he's even the one or should we look for someone else? Come on. And I love what Jesus answered. Because so many times, you know, when people would ask Jesus a question, he wouldn't answer their question directly sometimes. He would speak to why they were asking the question to begin with. And so Jesus immediately knows there's a reason John's asking this question. And the reason is because he knows the prophecies about me that say, that I'm here to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to preach the gospel to the poor, and to do all these things, and he's sitting in jail. What does it look like when, when we've told people something about him, but yet we don't see that in our own lives? What does that do? For John, it caused him to question if Jesus is even the Messiah when if we don't have it firmly established in our hearts who He is, the first time something doesn't go the way we think it should or something happens that's contradictory to what we believe should have happened, rather than looking at everything else and questioning that, it'll cause us to start questioning, is He even real? Is He really who He says He is? Because that's where John finds himself and the only thing that's changed from him declaring, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and sending his disciples to ask Jesus if he's actually the Messiah, is he finds himself in prison, and Jesus is supposed to let the captives free. And you can just kind of hear it. I don't know any of you guys have ever thought this way, but there's temptation for some people when something doesn't go well, when we're pursuing and, and following and serving the Lord to say, So this is what I get for serving You? This is the thanks for following? This is what obedience... Come on. How does that question even rise up in our minds? It's because we've decided to put God on trial and let circumstances give the verdict of who He is. Rather than having it established in our hearts so that when we face those things, there's something that carries us through it. And so Jesus immediately... Diagnoses the problem. He's not really wondering if Jesus really is who he says he is as much as he's frustrated that if he is who he says he is, why am I sitting in prison? And so Jesus responds and says this He says in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. He looks and he says, okay, I I see what the problem is. The problem is, is that John is fixated on the one thing that I'm not doing. John is basing everything that he believes on one disappointment or one thing that he hasn't seen come to pass yet. And he's allowing that to shake everything else. He's letting the fact that I didn't do one of the things that he knew I was prophesied to do keep him from even believing fully that I am the Messiah Even though he prophesied it, even though he heard it, even though he was born for it, even in his mother's womb he recognized me, one thing happens that goes against what he thought was supposed to happen, and suddenly he's questioning everything. And Jesus says, so here's what the answer is to this. The answer is not for me to say, well, don't you know the prophecies? Don't you know that the prophecies say that I would be a Nazarite, but I'd be born in Bethlehem? What are the chances of that? And I was. What about the star, the shepherds, the wise men? Come on, what about the time when you were in your mother's womb, I walked in and you left? Remember the time? He doesn't say any of that stuff because he realizes John doesn't need to know more. In fact, John knows what he needs to know, and the fa- what he knows is causing him to question this stuff. He says it's his focus that's the problem. It's what he's fixated on. we just saying we are fixed on this one thing, to see your goodness, to, know your, to, to see your glory and know your goodness. And he's saying right now John is fixated on one thing and one thing only, and that's that he's in prison and I'm supposed to set the captives free. And so if his reality doesn't look like what he's read in a promise in the Word, he is suddenly questioning everything. So here's what you do. Go to John and tell him about what I am doing. Go to John and tell him about all the things I am doing. Tell him about the fact that the blind are receiving their sight. Tell him about the fact that the dead are being raised that the poor have the Gospel being preached to them. Go and declare to John. Take John's eyes off of what I'm not doing and fix them on what I am doing. Because if he'll start to look at what I am doing, he'll forget about what I'm not doing. Think about it. Come on. How many times do we go to God... And we pray, and the focus of our prayer, the whole thing we talk about, even our conversations with other people, it doesn't show that we're actually fixed on Him. It shows that we're fixed on this problem, and that's the thing that's dictating what we say and what we see. Why? Because we forgot for a moment everything He has done, and all we're seeing is what He hasn't. That's why why David prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord, never let me get far from remembering who I was and what you've done for me in my life. Never let me get far from the place of remembering what you've done for me in my salvation, because if I ever get away from that, I'll start looking at what I haven't seen, and that will challenge everything that I have seen. Come on, if it could happen to John the Baptist, like, your gift won't keep you there. Because according to Jesus, He had the greatest gifting, prophetic gifting of anybody up to that time. We're, we're talking about, He says, greater than Elijah. Greater than the man who called down fire from, from the sky. Greater than Samuel, the one who, who anointed David to be king and who, who at God's Word tore apart all the, the prophets of, of the false gods and And who would go to Saul and say, this is what the Lord declared. And then when Saul didn't do it, he would go to him, walk right into a king's palace. When the king has the power to do anything he wants to anybody in the kingdom, Samuel, no fear, would just walk straight into him and say, why did you not do what the Lord told you to do? And and Jesus says, compared to them, he's still greater. And yet, a disappointment a thing that he wasn't seeing. Fixing his eyes on what had not happened caused him to question everything that had. And I was thinking about Paul. Kind of the, the flip side of the coin where Paul gets sent to prison for the sake of Christ too. Yet, Paul doesn't have a pity party. These, some questions that Paul didn't ask. He doesn't ask. I wonder if Jesus is even real. Are even is this gospel of freedom even real? How can I go out and preach freedom to the captives when I'm sitting in jail? This is the thanks that I get for preaching. This is what I get for being obedient. You knock me off my horse and and give me this great revelation of freedom. We have freedom in Christ and we're no longer slaves and all these things that I've preached and now here I am in chains in prison. He never even entertains that thought. Never once. But look what he was fixated on. Turned in, in, in his letters. Now listen, he goes to prison and writes letters that are now in our Bible from prison. He doesn't write, woe is me. He doesn't even write, help get me out. I think it's funny that the man who never asked God to set him free was set free when he was worshiping. I think it's because he was worshiping not so that he would be set free. He was worshiping because he'd already been set free. He was worshiping because of what God had done, not for something that God would do. I wonder how many people have found themselves in prison and tried to worship their way out, and it hasn't happened, and they've wondered why it happened for Paul and not for them. And the truth of the matter is is because while man's looking at the outside, God's looking at the heart. You can't manipulate him into doing something. It's either authentic worship coming from the freedom you've found in him, or it's worship for something, and that's manipulation. He's not going to respond to that. so Paul writes to the church at Philippi. This is while he's in prison. Look what he's fixed on. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he saying? You guys, I'm in prison right now. And and I'm not like thanking God for the fact that I'm in prison, but I am thanking God that even though right now I'm in prison, that you're going after him. I'm fixed on what he is doing, not fixed on what he's not doing. If, I, if I'm supposed to be set free, I believe I'll be set free. And right now, maybe I have some frustration with the fact that I'm in prison. Maybe I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. Maybe I'm, I'm a little bit like, God, why am I in prison? There's so much more I could be doing out there. But instead of fixing on that, I'm going to fix my eyes on what is God doing? Well, I've heard that the church at Philippi is going after him ever since the first day the gospel was preached. So every day I get up and suddenly, God, thank you for the church, the Philippian people. God, I thank you that they're following after truth, that ever since they heard the word, they've been going after you, God. And I pray that you just keep them hungry for you, God. Keep them pursuing you. And suddenly, his heart is fixed on what God is doing. If he even had a little frustration in him about the fact that he's in prison, it's long gone because gratefulness has come, thankfulness has come, and he's fixed his eyes. On what God is doing rather than fixing his eyes on the one area of frustration or the one thing that God hasn't done yet. Look at the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. He's in prison. And he's not praying, God let me out. Because he's so thankful for what God's doing, that what He's fixed on and what He sees. God, I can't even spend my time complaining about what I don't see because I'm so busy looking at You and thanking You for what I do see. How many of our prayers, if we're just being honest, are focused on Him and what He's done? And thanking Him for His goodness and His faithfulness. And saying, listen, even if right now in my life there's not a ton of things that are happening at this moment that I'm thankful for because I'm waiting to see breakthrough. I am surrounded by a group of people and I've heard their stories, God, and I thank you for what you're doing in their life. God, I thank you for the fact that they're walking in freedom. God, I thank you that they have seen victory in this because that's a revelation of your character and I'm grabbing a hold of that and I'm saying, God, if that's something you'll do for them, that's something you'll do for me because you're not in heaven with a limited supply saying, well, I help them so I can't help you. God, this is, I'm taking this as a revelation of who you are as father and it changes the way I look at these things because they've seen it and I know that you're not a respecter of persons, God, and I'm just believing that I'll see that in my own life and I'm so thankful that you're doing that in their life God or, or when we come to Him with a problem, rather than it being, you know, God, I just my children and this, that. What if it was, God, I thank you that you have a promise that says that if I will train my child up in the way that they go when they re- are old, they won't depart from it. And God, I feel like they're old, but you don't think they're old because they have departed for a time. And so you said when they're old, they won't depart. That means you don't see them as old because your promises are true, God. And I'm so thankful for the time that I had to speak into their life, God, for the truth that's inside of them. You said your word won't return to you void without accomplishing that which you sent it for. And suddenly your problem is forgotten because you've become so answer-focused. And you've just found the answer in the midst of trying to talk about a problem because your awareness was Him. And when we fix our eyes on Him, suddenly everything else seems to get a little bit dimmer. And all of a sudden, we don't even remember. Why did I... I, God, I I forgot what I was going to pray about. I know I had a problem. I know I had an issue. I'm certain of it. But I, but I put my eyes on you and suddenly I, I took my eyes off that. Because I can only look at one at a time. That's why I'm supposed to be single-eyed. Not double-eyed. Not one eye on the problem, one eye on God. Single-eyed. If your eye be single, your whole body be flooded with light what's he saying if you just have an eye to look at me everything you look at when you're looking at me will be just flooded with light suddenly the light of god starts to illuminate anything that was dark in my life anything that was a problem i can't even see it as a problem anymore because i'm focused on the answer and now i'm just going okay god so this is what you've said okay so i haven't seen it yet but you've promised it god and i will trust you and I would love to see our, uh, this, this house, this, this body of believers, this family of believers become a people of testimony, become a people that share stories with each other and talk about what God's doing. The Bible commands us to do that. But beyond that, we need that so that when we find ourselves in a place where it's like, man, that I'm facing all these things, there's all these stories from other people that I can grab onto and I can say, but God, you're doing this and I'm so thankful. That's what Paul did. He said, listen, I spend my time in prison thanking God for you. I'm thinking about what's happening in your life and the good things that are happening in your life. I hear the testimony of His Word in your life and I'm thankful for that. I'm not focused on me in prison. I'm focused on you and what God's doing out there and the, thank, and the, and the goodness of God and the promises of God. And, and, and suddenly, He's not having a pity party and He's not asking Jesus, are you real? He's going, oh, look how real you are. He's not asking him, does this gospel really have the power to set people free? He's going, look at the freedom they've found. Why? Because he's focused on what God is doing, not on what God isn't. I promise you, in our lives, there will always be things that come as challenges. And there will always be the opportunity to focus on the thing that God isn't doing. But what Jesus said to John was this, John, the reason you're asking this question is because you're thinking... Notice he doesn't say to him, the captives set free. He doesn't remind him of that. He reads all the other things that were prophesied about him. He leaves off the captives set free. Why? Because Jesus didn't need to remind him about the promise of the captives being set free at that time. Why? The devil was doing a great job of it. Listen, he'll come to you constantly and point out to you what God isn't doing. He'll come to you constantly and point out where God hasn't met the mark, where God has failed, the promises that you haven't seen. Your own human nature will do those things. Jesus is like, listen, I'm not even going to talk about that because the reason you're asking this question is because you've talked about that constantly. So I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to talk about everything that I am doing. Sometimes the way we talk when people walk away, are they more impressed with the problem we're going through or the hope that we have in God? And I'm not saying this, you know, you can, you know, cast your cares upon him, pray, you know, share, lift each other's burdens. You could talk to each other about stuff that's going on. But here's the thing. If it's constantly fixated on the problem and never conscious of the answer, somebody should probably ask you at some point in your life, what are you more impressed with? The problem or the solution? Where's your faith? Because if our faith really is in him, then even when I talk about a problem, there should always be this, but I know what God has said and I believe. And suddenly, the more I start talking about that, the less I start talking about this. And the less I talk about this and the more I talk about him, the more I start to see things from his view. And though, so then when a reminder comes of that, rather than me getting into the dumps and having to be built back up to this place, I'm walking in a place of strength where when that reminder comes, the first thing out of my mouth is a response to the promise of God. The enemy comes, oh, look at what your kids did. Look at what they posted on Facebook. Are you kidding me? Look at that. You better go to drive there and get... God, I thank You that You said that when they're old, they won't depart from that, that if I train them up the way that they would go, that they won't turn away from it. God, I thank You that the seed of Your truth is in them. And even if I don't see it right now, it's sprouting roots. And one day, that shoot will come up to the surface. And I'm not going to wait until it does to praise You because I'm going to believe that even before I see it, there's something going on that I can't see. Come on. How much better is that than saying, oh my gosh, you're right. How much faith does it take to agree with the problem. Because the just are called to live by faith. It doesn't take faith. Anybody can look at a problem and say there's a problem there. It doesn't take any faith. It does take faith to see an issue and to believe that what God has spoke is greater than what I've seen. That takes faith. That takes actually something that I can't do in the natural. I'm not responding to what I see or what I've heard i'm responding to what he said and so i want to see that happen but i I do want to just talk about this for a minute that that when you live inside of that context like in an atmosphere of testimony in psalm 22 david says this says i'll tell your uh, i will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly i will praise you you who fear the lord praise him all you descendants of listen if you fear the lord it makes it hard to fear other things That's why it says that you can only serve two masters. I mean, you can only serve one master. You can't serve two. Because you're either aware of this or you're aware of him. And one will cancel out the other really easily. It doesn't mean we live in denial and act like the problem isn't there. What we do deny is that the problem is greater than this promise that he has. You see, you have to live in denial of some sort if you're going to live by faith. So denial isn't saying, well, that doesn't exist, and acting like if I just say it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Denial is saying, I I know that that looks that way, but I believe that what he said is greater, and I believe his truth is bigger, and I believe he's more powerful than that. And so I deny that any place of influencing the way that I think because I've given him the place of influence over what I think, and I can't do both at the same time. It's not, you know, know, if if you've got a a finger cut off, denial, no, no, I don't. You're bleeding all over. No, but that's not the end. You know, you get a report from a doctor that says you have this or you have that. Denial, you know, you don't, faith isn't saying, no, I don't, I do not. It may be there, but it doesn't have the right to stay because he paid for your sickness. So denial says that even though this is what's said, he spoke a greater truth. And if I have to believe one of the two, I'm going to believe what he said over what that said. I don't deny that they say that. I'm denying that that's the final word, that he has a greater truth. Come on, that's what denial looks like. That's the proper time to denial. Not stick your head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist. That's not faith. He says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob. I couldn't go to sleep last night with this word in me. I I was up to like 1.30 or 1.45 last night and I was just reminding God of the fact that I have to get up and preach two services. <laughs> he wasn't real impressed. <laughs> but here I am. Have no, you ever get like that where it's like God shows you something and you can har- I was ready to preach to the sheets last night. I, I, I'm serious. I, I, I was thinking, Patty's going to wake up any minute because i just, I'd lay there and I'd start thinking about the message and I'd start thinking about something else and I'd roll over and I'd lay there and start thinking and I'm like, I'm trying to shut my brain off. She's just peacefully sleeping over there just peacefully sleeping. I'm reminding God that she doesn't have to preach tomorrow. He reminded me she has to play keys. (laughs) All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from them. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. He says, listen, I'll stand in the middle of the assembly and I'll praise you. Can I tell you that When you do that, things happen. Because here's the thing, like, it's not hard for me to hear you succeed in an area where I have no interest in succeeding. Yay, God. Everybody will rejoice with that. Like, you're, you know, you're, (laughs) you're, you're building a car, you know, and, and you get a certain time with, and I have no interest in building a car. I, I've never done it before, and I I have, no, no, there, I have nothing at stake in that, I'm not doing it, I have no interest in succeeding there, and I hear that you succeeded and you're getting praised for it, and, and that you, you know it was a great success. Yay, God, it's so easy. Or if you succeed at something that I've succeeded at. It's like we have a success party. It's like I'm doing good at this and then you come to me and you tell me the story of what God did in your life and, and how good you're doing in that and we're both just, yay God! and we're, we're Everything's great. But what about if you succeed and you tell a testimony about being blessed in an area that I haven't? Maybe even something that I'm praying for and that I haven't seen come to pass yet. What if when you stand up and tell a testimony, if I'm not where I'm supposed to be in Him, I start in my head figuring out why I deserved it more than you. Because here's what will happen in an atmosphere of testimony. he will start working on your heart through it. And things will start getting exposed. Because here's the thing. If I don't rejoice when you share a testimony, chances are it's because I either believe that you got blessed at my expense. Or you got something that I should have got because I have built this case. And it sometimes sounds like this. God, I've been doing this for this long. I've been faithful with this for this long. I haven't even got thanked. And I've done it anyways. You know, the first time you start talking about the fact that you've done something and haven't got thanked, you were hoping to get thanked. Because if you didn't care, you wouldn't have noticed. It's a sure sign that you were doing it for that when you start pointing out that you haven't received it. Just let that land where it lands. But here's the thing, when we do this, the way that we respond to others being blessed and sharing testimony about blessing either positions us to receive or closes us off from receiving. Because here's the thing, (coughs) so say you hear about somebody receiving something that you were praying for and your thought immediately goes to, I deserved it more than them. And you start adding up all the things that you've done and how long you've done them for and all the reasons why that should have been yours. And then, maybe even you notice all the things in their life they haven't done. And how long they haven't done things. And what they already had. What are you saying? You're saying, God, I deserve this. I have earned this. You should have gave it to me, and God's in heaven saying, I can't give that to you because it's a gift, and you are trying to get a wage. And if I gave that to you, you would it would confirm to you that you deserved it, that you had worked for it, and that you had earned it, and you would actually get prideful and puffed up. And until you can learn that it's not about what you've done, that it's my good grace that gives you the giftings that I give, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Gift, not wage. See, when you get to a place where you're keeping track of what you've done and what they haven't, you're earning things. And you're trying to work for it. And you've built a case in your mind and you may be right. And God may have blessed that person right next to you because that thing's in your heart and He wants to get it out so that He can bless you without it becoming a burden. How, how do we respond? Because when people start sharing testimonies around you, it'll start digging that stuff up. On, it, it, listen, if somebody tells you that they, they climbed a mountain, you have no interest in climbing a mountain, you, yay, God. But what about if you tried to climb that mountain 17 times and never made it to the top? Yay, God. Or maybe you'll do this. Yay, God! And the person that climbed the mountain will walk away thinking, wow, that was awesome. They were super stoked. I was actually a little nervous about sharing that with them because I know they tried like 17 times. But I didn't want to, you know, I had this supernatural story of like, I, I got almost to the top and I could not make it. I literally was running out of oxygen and suddenly for i just prayed and i felt like god breathed into my lungs and i was able to make it to the top and they're like they want to share this story with you but they're afraid if they do that you might respond wrong not because of anything that you've done wrong but because you're well aware of the fact that they've tried 17 times and failed but yet you want to share this testimony of god's faithfulness because if they'll grab a hold of that maybe that's something that when they try the 18th time they'll remember and it will spur them on to be able to do it too and they were a little nervous, and they told you, and you went, oh, man, that is so awesome. I'm so, God is so good. And they walk away thinking, oh, that's awesome. I was so, God, that was foolish of me, God. Forgive me for even, like, thinking or worrying about that. But in your heart, it wasn't, "Yay, yeah, God. In your heart, it was the first time. Are you kidding me? You didn't even train like I trained. I got frostbite on two. I had to have two of my toes amputated. <laughs> you, you just go waltzing up there the first time. Oh, you get down and pray. God filled your lungs. <laughs> Come on, because this stuff happens. So a man walked away impressed. Because of your response, but God looks down and goes, They're still not ready. Congratulations. That person that walked away impressed and thinking that you handled it amazingly well is your reward in full. Because God's going, They still don't understand. It's not about how hard they've worked. Listen, there's things that you work hard for in life. I'm not putting that down, but I am saying that if you think that you deserve things to the point where when other people that haven't done what you've done get things and it makes you bitter or causes jealousy to rise up inside of you you're probably not ready to receive that because if you did receive it, it would just confirm that thing that's already inside of you that feels entitled to it to begin with. And it would no longer be a gift, it'd be a wage. And the wages of sin, the wages that you would receive through that jealous, competitive, not understanding grace would lead to death in your life. Nobody in here but there's people listening on the podcast that struggle with this stuff sometimes. I've heard. What's the answer for this? The answer for this is to not walk around constantly aware of what God hasn't done so that anytime something comes up, the first thing I think about is how it didn't work in my life. The answer is actually to walk around with a constant awareness of what he has done and a thankfulness in my heart for everything that he has done so that when I hear something he did in someone else's life, it encourages me even more so that I can look to it and say, man, that is awesome because that's a revelation of God's heart towards his children. Thank you, God, that I'm your son. Thank you, God, that I'm your daughter. Thank you that that's who you are and what you want to be. God, I'm so thankful you did that for them. That is awesome suddenly you might find yourself in a place where you're going up the mountain and it's not that hard anymore because you're not earning it by what you've done. You're receiving it because of what He did. It's quiet in here today. So, I was going to go into lamentations, but you can just You guys don't need that. This is what you need. There's two things that will be tested in an atmosphere of testimony. I'll just close up with this. First thing it will test is our heart. What rises up in us when others are blessed and share testimony, is it thankfulness and rejoicing with them or is it something else? The way we respond to others being blessed shows what's really in our heart. Because anyone can respond well when they're blessed. There's not really a test in that a whole lot of times. It's not hard to praise God and say, "Yay, God, when you're blessed. But what does reveal your heart is what comes out of my mouth and what rises up in my heart, more importantly, when it's somebody else. Especially if it's something that I was trying for praying for, or felt like I deserved. Come on. The second thing is it tests our faith in God. I wrote this down last night. I just want to read it. It says, if anything but rejoicing and thankfulness rises up in us, it's not because necessarily that we're evil people. It's because somewhere there's a lack of trust in God. We don't trust that the one who blessed them is either capable or willing to bless us. Somewhere, we've allowed a doubt that either He isn't capable, that that as if God was in heaven with a limited supply, He looked down, He saw us too, and He picked them. And in picking them, He didn't pick me. What if He can pick us all? What if He has more than enough? What if He's a never-ending supply? And you didn't get blessed at my expense. We all get blessed at His expense. Or we doubt either His capability or His willingness. Well, maybe God just doesn't want to bless me with that. He said... If you being evil know how to give good gifts, why would your Heavenly Father withhold things that are good from you? And maybe it's happening. Maybe If you're someone who in your life, this has happened to a lot, where it just seems like everybody around me is always getting the thing that I want. It could be because you're so aware of what everyone has and so aware of what you haven't, and God's trying to break that from you by dealing what's in your heart that causes you to keep score to begin with. Maybe he's good enough to keep letting it happen because he's after your heart. And once he has your heart, then he can give you anything he wants and it'll never bring a burden. It'll never bring reproach. So I, I just want us as a, as a church family, because I really do, I've, I've just been, lately it seems like I'm hearing more and more testimonies just about the goodness of God, the favor of God. Um, things that God's doing in people and through people and I I keep hearing this stuff more and more and I I feel like that's something God really wants to build on and I feel like it's something that we're going to as a church family is is something that that will be something that that begins to to just be so common and ordinary but I promise you in that atmosphere it'll, it'll bring things to the surface And so maybe we should just deal with them now, and allow God to deal with our hearts now, so that as those things come, we're positioned to be blessed by what people say rather than challenged by it. So uh, this is—I never just want to preach a message; I just want to say, like, like, and not even right now. Like, you know, the piano is playing softly, and I could lower my voice. But the truth of the matter is, it's more than a five-minute question. It's probably something to get alone with Him and just ask Him, God is there areas of my life where I see Your blessing and it bothers me rather than encourages me. Or or maybe the first thing we talked about, which is God, I feel like my life is way more focused on what You haven't done or what I haven't seen than it is thankful for what You have done and what I have seen. Help me to change my perspective, God. God. Help me to come to you with thankfulness. The Word says to bring our prayers before Him with thankfulness. With thankfulness in prayer, bring our supplications before Him. What does that mean? It means I should probably just start out thanking Him and I might not even get to the problem that I brought. Because suddenly I'm so aware of His goodness that it reminds me, you know what? This will be just like all those others. I was going to pray about that, but honestly I've got to a place where I'm remembering everything You've done and I can't imagine it going any other way with that because You're the same God today that You were when You did that. And all of a sudden, I walk away thankful, focused on Him and everything He's done rather than frustrated, angry, and focused on what hasn't happened. God, I just thank You for that. thank You for a perspective shift. I thank You that our eyes are so fixed on You and what You have done, God, that, that, we, that honestly we get to a place where we're aware of what hasn't, but we're more aware of the belief and the promise that it will. I just ask, God, that if there is anything in us, if there's any orphan-like thinking, God, that would keep us from being able to celebrate when You bless other people, no matter what that is, God, that You would search our hearts and show us where we just don't trust You, or where we've fallen for the lie that You're not capable or willing to bless us, God. And not that it means we have to have the exact same thing as everybody else, but believing that the things You have for us are just as perfect for us as the things You have for other people are perfect for them. Trusting You, God. So aware of who You are, what You're like, that there would never be a circumstance that would cause us to question what we know. Because we'd find ourselves thanking You for everything You've done even in the midst of the hardest things we face. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that. Amen.